this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're back with another, believe it or not, Patreon review. They're just uh, rolling in week after week. That's always good news. Yeah. It means... Uh, don't we're paying don't let us pick the records. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, not, not anymore. We don't, I don't have to do any work other than pick the four for our, our monthly polls starting which will be next month. Our, uh, our our Patreon folks will get to vote from four albums that I pick, so I will have to whittle it down. Uh, it's not too hard. Usually there's probably five or six, so I might have to exclude one or two, but uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty easy to find the four that we want to do. But this week, we, uh, we have a returning guest who has been here multiple times. Eric Peterson, welcome back. Thank you. And why don't you introduce the album that you selected for us to check out? Okay. From Norway, uh, the band Turbo Negro with their 1998 album Apocalypse Dudes, which is their fourth studio album. It's the first album in what's considered to be a trilogy of, uh, it's, it's called the Apocalypse Albums. And it is, to me, kind of the first great record to come out of that uh, that Nordic rock and roll scene with the four big bands there being the helicopters who you guys have covered, Glucifer, the Flaming Sideburns, and Turbo Negro. Or I, sh- I should say that the uh, the actual pronunciation in Europe is Turbo Uganda, not Turbo Negro. But so it, they're interchangeable. But in, you know we're in we're in the English speaking world, so it's Turbo Negro. Okay, what year did? Now that's interesting that you the way you describe that as being the first uh you know I guess important of those what year what did Grande Rock by the Helicopters come out cuz we reviewed that is that 98 or 99 I think that's it's 99, 99. Okay yeah, it's 99 So would you and put I, this ahead of that record Uh yeah and actually when it comes to those early Helicopters records I think Paying the Dues is probably the more important of those records and I want to I, I I might need to double check and see if uh, paying the dues came out before it, before Apocalypse Dudes. They might have really come out at the same point in time. Uh, almost all of those bands were friends. Uh, they were there was a lot of crossover uh, with playing on each other's records or split seven inches. Or I mean, I'm just going to say that I got to meet all almost members of at least all of those bands because they were friends with each other. So. So Super Shitty in the Max is 96, Paying the mm-hmm. Dues is 97, and Grande uh, Rock okay. is 98. So I, I, I do think that um, that Paying the Dues is a great record, but I think as far as breaking the scene worldwide, that this is the first really big, great, important record. Okay. Uh, and for, for my money, I think the people that want to check out the helicopters, um, really, I think, by the grace of God, is where, where they should start if you're not already into the punk rock. Because that's the definitely the more accessible. So I mentioned that that Apocalypse Dudes is is kind of this part of this trilogy. With the helicopters they did this thing where you have, you know, Super Shitty, which is a punk album, 
and then you have the more refined version in uh, paying the dues. And then you have their next step in their evolution, which is Grande Rock. And then the more refined one is By the Grace of God. Jay, where do you fall in the uh, in the helicopters? Where, if you were going to ask somebody to check out a helicopters record, which one would it be? Uh, <clears throat> well, it depends on the person because the band evolves quite a bit. Um, I'm a huge fan of high visibility because it mm. it bridges that gap between Grande Rock and oh, I totally forgot about the Grace that's of a, God. That's a great so record too. It's got the hooks, but it's also got like all the guitar gymnastics mm-hmm. <laughs> that I love and the the bombast. Um, and then I think rock and roll is dead. And then the covers album head off are where they get probably the most commercial sounding. Yeah. So if you're more of a pop, you know, rock fan, that would probably be where, but by the grace of God is maybe their like overall best record. I think I would agree with that, but there's a soft spot for high visibility for me. Yeah. I, I would also say that, that in both of the case of both of these records, this is kind of, um, for the helicopters, once you get to high visibility and by the grace of God, they're settling into their quote classic lineup. And for Turbo Negro Apocalypse dudes, dudes is where they're they're also settling into their classic lineup. Okay, well that's our little discussion on the helicopters versus uh, <laughs> Turbo Negro. Uh, I also got to throw in Lucifer's Tender as the Savage as one, being Great one album. that uh, I would oh, put yeah. up in there with these. So let's talk about this record. You know, we have the the sort of the foundation now for you know where they were at, and um, the the scene that they were a part of. I guess it gets referred to by a, def- a couple different things as like action rock, or um, I saw that this actually got classified on Wikipedia as glam punk. Yeah. Um, where does the glam aspect come from? Uh, I think it's the Alice Cooper and David Bowie influences. Okay. And it's especially the the kind of uh, sing along uh, choruses and the, the the glam part I think is much more of the look of the band maybe than than necessarily the sound. But I think they're glam in the same way that the MC5 and Iggy and the Stooges were considered to be glam. Gotcha. So I want to mention we had some comments on the Patreon page. Steven Musinski said, this is a name that has come up a couple times here and there on past episodes, I believe, but I never did check them out until now. I'm not super familiar with the helicopters, but I was immediately reminded of them. Confirm or deny. We can confirm that, Steven, yes. Also, these guys do like their (laughs) F-bombs. Anyway, on the first listen, I enjoyed this album. It's upbeat, catchy, it just rocks. Track three, get it on. Sounds pretty similar to the Ramones. I just want to have something to do. But that sort of thing happens all the time. Oh, and there was a little guitar nod to Cheap Trick early on as well, question mark. Uh, I think that's Ramones and Cheap Trick are probably pretty obvious touchstones for this band and, and other bands of this era. Um, and then Whitney Beeler with some more uh, lukewarm comments. He says, pretty hooky stuff. I never heard of this band, but it really... Only made me want to listen to Dan- made me want to listen to Jank- Danko Jones, who came later, but does this thing, this kind of thing, way better. So we can get into that as we get into the album. Jay, were you and you are obviously familiar with all the bands of that scene. Had you picked up any Turbo Negro albums? Uh, yeah, I have. I had this. I have. I liked uh, the records that came after this. So I think like Party Animal and. Retox were two that I that I liked quite a lot, and I and when it, they've been making uh, records pretty quick, consistently since since this. So and I actually they have a new one coming out soon. 
So I always check in when they put a new record out and give it a spin. All right. I had actually not listened to them. I don't know why, because I listened to Helicopters and Glucifer when those albums came out and also to other ones that are less familiar. It was like the Puff Balls. And uh, was that one of them? Puff Ball. Puff, yeah. yeah. How about Soundtrack of Our Lives? Yeah. to them. Remember them? Uh, what was the Sahara Hot Nights? Yes. Is that, yep. that in this kind of era? Yeah, era yeah well? but there, see, there's this weird thing. Sahara Hot Nights, I saw them live, great band. They were kind of attached to the Hives. So if you think of the Hives as being the little brother band in this scene that broke out, um, because the Hives were coming into the scene with the, the Robots and Puffball and the A-Bombs and a whole list of bands that you can go into. There's actually a couple of compilations out there that's the Swedish Sins uh, 97 and 99 compilations, and they kind of highlight this scene. And uh, it's not just Swedish bands. There's some Norwegian bands on there, and I think some Finnish bands as well. Uh, But the Hives were the one that broke big. And Sahara Hot Nights got a push. Uh, At the same time, you had bands like Menson and the Ultra Bimbos and the Laundrettes and the Cocktail Slippers and the Barbarellas, who are also... Uh, women the same age as Sarah Hot Nights playing in the same sandbox sonically that were much more attached to the scene to the point that the uh, the main the main woman from uh, Menson is Nika from the Helicopter's Girlfriend. And or I don't know, they might be married at this point. And the Ultra Bimbos were all dating the uh, Flaming Sideburn guys. So uh, they were they were all part of that scene together. OK. It's hard to keep track of all that stuff. But, it is. Uh... And I, I will say that the reason I know this is because I was kind of on the, the edge of this scene. I got to know a lot of the people involved with it uh, through the through friends, through some of the record label stuff that I was doing at the time with my, my brother and I had a little record label. And uh, the fact that my brother and I both went to school separately in Sweden. In the, I was there in 2001. He was there in 2006. So we became very friendly with uh, with members of various bands. All right, let's get into this record. Let's talk about Apocalypse Dudes, the 1999 album from Turbo Negro. Uh, I guess I'll start since I was the one who was not familiar with it, and I, I'll give you something that I liked about this record. Um, I, I think in, in mentioning the helicopters and in Glucifer, um, you know, obviously there's you know Sonic and and songwriting and and influence comparisons to be made to those bands, but I think the also the other thing that I, I really enjoy and that really any band of this ilk that does it well, um, they've got to get the sound right. And some of the bands that I maybe didn't connect with, it's because either the the guitars didn't sound right or the vocalist wasn't couldn't pull off the what needed to be done. And um, the overall sound of the band, whether it's the guitar tone, the way it's mixed, it gets thick when it needs to and the drums sound good and the vocalist you know they they do uh you said like the gang vocal and and that sort of stuff um on parts of the record and they just they do all those things right and it checks all those boxes so from just a pure visceral musical standpoint i like the way the record sounds so i like the first time through listening to it i wasn't even that focused on the lyrics, although looking at the song titles, I was interested where, where these songs were going to go. 
because you have songs like Rock Against Ass and uh, Rendezvous with Anus. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm wondering, okay, where's this going to go? So this is where you have to you have to edit in the Beavis and Butthead. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, first of all, it, I I wouldn't be able they wouldn't be able to sell me these songs and those titles and you know eventually reading through the lyrics if they couldn't pull off actually making the record sound good. And that to me is the first step, and that's what they did. Um, the record sounds great. It it reminded me a lot of Tender the Sa- is the Savage in terms of like the tone of the guitars and the heaviness. Some of the stuff it's it's a little even thicker than than the helicopters. Helicopters sometimes actually downplayed like the heaviness of the guitar, especially on the later stuff. They kind of refined the guitar tones and, and stripped them down a little bit. Whereas um, this is just straight up, you know, you know, fat. I'm assuming Les Paul Marshall stack that kind of setup. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the one thing to start with that I really liked was just the overall sound of the band. They just get that right. So Jay, I'm curious what uh, what's one thing that worked for you on this record? Uh, well, these bands, uh, particularly this band, uh, was such a breath of fresh air for me at this time when I first heard them, because um, they had a sense of humor and fun to them, you know. And and what you just said, like they rocked, like they brought it, they sounded great, and um, had tons of attitude, and just were this really cool mix of like garage spirit and hard rock riffs and a straight up punk attitude. So I return to that anytime I listen to this record, any, any of the records from that era. Um, and even the music that a lot of these bands are still making, it's just this full throttle sense of joy and fun. And I think for them in particular, I think the, the thing that makes them unique is that um, they were probably the, one of the first bands that like when they sing about sex, there's no metaphors. there's no double entendre you know as a kiss fan and you know a a hard rock fan growing up like everything's about you know double meaning there's no double meaning here (laughs) nope when they say rendezvous with anus they're that's what they're talking about you know so there was something like really funny and fun and just refreshing about the the band and the lyrics and yeah it's kind of goofy at times but it's rock and roll like it's just one of those bands that gets it um where it's just the you know it's just the slice of pure rock and roll so uh revisiting it that's that's really what i enjoyed the most yeah that that really reminded me a lot of the 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 glucifer album you know the the first song and i think is i got a war and he's, yes. he starts belting it out. I got a war, baby. I got a war with you. And and it's just like this over the top uh, delivery. 
and he does that throughout that record. There's like a sense of humor. The ge- the general says "Hell yeah!" I think is one of the songs, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, it's a it's a slightly different approach, uh, but it's it's got a tinge of humor to it, which really helps that that whole presentation work. Because <laughs> if it's too serious to me, it like then it just gets into like parody and it's right self importance and like I don't need that. I want this to be fun. This is not Guar. This is not Steel Panther. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, I don't want it to be that. I don't want it to be parody in the sense of Steel Panther, which is a whole other way of enjoying music. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want this to be like, like when we listen to like a band like Degeneration, there's no sense of humor with that. It's just really dark. (laughs) And that works for a couple songs, but it doesn't, I, I can't sustain it for a whole record. Whereas this approach really harkens back to, you know, the Ramones had a sense of humor about stuff. So there's no reason why um, bands can't continue to do that. I think that was, I think part of the problem was that that was verboten in the, in the nineties, having a sense humor in in music was relegated to like Weirdo Yankovic and Cake and, you know, that kind of stuff. Music took itself way too seriously in the 90s, uh, with the exception of maybe like swing or some of those, you know, blips on the radar that happened. Ben Folds. Ben Folds got away with it. Everything else was way too serious. So when this came blasting over from from, uh, Scandinavia, it was very, very refreshing. Yeah. Well, you mentioned pop punk. I mean, that, that was almost seemed like a reaction to the sort of dourness of the early nineties alternative that was super serious and, you know, yeah, we got to remember though, the super seriousness of the, that early nineties was a reaction to the, the overly bubblegum, everything's okay. Party all the time. Kind oh, yeah. of, kind of, uh, end of the, not just the hair metal era, but like what was passing for R and B in 1989 and 1990. Absolutely. Everything is a reaction to the thing that came before it. Yeah. So that's, that's, you know, totally reasonable. But again, that you can only, it's same thing with like the degeneration. I can only take it for so long and then I got to have some fun, you know, and this, and yeah. bands like this and, uh, you know, seeing the guys in the helicopters, you know, doing, you know, back to back guitar solos and really appreciating, you know, not just, the MC five and Iggy, but also like, you know, Bob Seger and, you know, classic rock in, in a well, new and refreshing way was, was new and refreshing. Just, just as that early grunge stuff was really a remix of punk and classic rock. This stuff was like a five, six year later reinterpretation of punk, classic rock, power pop, uh, all of that stuff mixed together with with just that slightly Scandinavian kind of um, sheen of, of heavy darkness, but at the same time, kind of light pop sensibility, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I first visited Scandinavia, and I'm going to say uh, Scandinavia because I went to Denmark, uh, Norway, and Sweden on that trip uh, in 1999. And I went to Oslo and knew some people in the band, and we hung out, hung, hung out with the uh, – the main guy from a band called uh, Hellride and his fiance who was in the Barbarellas or she, she might've been the cocktail slippers at the time. But anyways, 
we go we go to this rock and roll bar and we're hanging out with this guy and his fiance and their friends and we're talking about music and they're you know we're talking about all the stuff that's going on there and the black metal and then they're like so let's talk about Johnny Cash let's talk about Weezer let's talk about whatever because they don't they were not in these lines of I can only listen to Iron Maiden and Judas Priest or I can listen to Bob Seger and Aerosmith they they were open to all of it I mean it was Let's talk about Weezer. Let's talk about Thin Lizzy. You know, it was so all of those influences came in mm-hmm. and you can definitely hear it in what they've produced over the years. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's come up before that there's a, the delineation of interests is not the same there as it is here. And, uh, you know, 1999, looking when this record was released is like the high point of separation of interest with the way that all that we've mentioned in previous episodes like the way that the concerts were all started to get broken up into if you want heavy music you're going to go to Ozfest or if you want punk music you're going to the Warp Tour if you want jam music you're going into the Horde Tour like the whole idea of like Lollapalooza being a, a, a stop for every weird alternative and indie and you know different sound had had pretty much been split off into everybody's got their own thing and you don't cross paths and that's uh that's a not apparently the case over in not just is i think i feel like europe in general has a much broader appreciation for uh you know diverse music because you think of like even like the uk with you know they can have a huge pop you know you think about what's going on in the early 2000s you had oasis which was this alternative rock band but then you had like bands like you know s club seven and the Spice Girls and, you know, that kind of stuff that was basically a lot, right along the side with it. And Jarvis Cocker, like, showing up at, you know, this weird... I mean, that's a that's a weird dude who's, mm-hmm. you know, showing up at award shows where there's no version of Jarvis Cocker in the United States. There's, there's no that guy that I can think of. I mean, maybe Beck is, like, our version of Jarvis Cocker, but not even to that extent. So just in terms of personality and being out there, but he's he got pretty mainstream pretty quickly. So in terms of what didn't work, I, I mean, there's not a whole lot that didn't work for me. I did notice, you know, anytime you, you get a band that's influenced by the Ramones and, and all these other influences that, you know, like Steven mentioned, there are some things that reminded me of other bands. So there is a little bit of it being derivative of, other stuff um i think i well at least i hope track 12 humiliation street i mean that's it they're intentionally doing the iggy and the stooges there right like that's not they didn't accidentally start doing i don't I can't remember the name of the song is but there it's like the rhythm and that song is like a dead knockoff of a stooges song
I'm sure they're riffing on the Stooges. I mean, there, there's a song in here. I don't remember which one it is, but they're they're riffing on an old uh, Eddie and the Hot Rods song. So I, I think it's it's they're bringing all of these things in together. And, uh, you know, that was going on in the scene. If you mentioned Glucifer, if you look at their Riding the Tiger album and you look at the uh, the track listings for the song credits, you have all the band members' names. And at the end, it's like, Lemmy Kilmeister, Glenn Danzig. So they're citing their influences. And uh, most of these bands were very good about saying, yes, we, we uh, you know, we're listening to Cheap Trick and the Stooges and the Rolling Stones. And this is where we're getting our influences from. And in, in fact, um, at this time, they had for uh, the record label out of Denmark called Bad Afro Records, they had covered Suffragette City from Bowie. Right. Jay, was there anything on the record that that doesn't work for you or are you pretty pretty much across the board like this record? I, it, it's not it's not perfect. And I think this is the kind of record where it's best and short bursts, you know, uh, I can listen to the helicopters a lot because they have a lot of variety to their sound and the catalog, you know, spans a lot of sounds. This band, they grow over time, but for the most part, it's kind of the same thing. So it, I, this kind of stuff to me is like, it's almost like a, you know, taking it after dinner meant, <laughs> you know, it's like changes your, if you've ever been listening to something that's stuff that's too mellow or just overly, you know, heady, I throw this on and it's, it's like a complete reset. You know, if I was to just analyze this record and break it down into, you know, specifically what works and what doesn't, I would, the things that don't work, you know, it's going to be, it's very Ramonesy. Um, it almost sounds like, um, a super vulgar version of the Donna's that was, the, um, cause they, they got the, 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 um, a lot of the guitar licks that you would hear in the Donna's, but you maybe not are not going to hear in the Ramones. So, you know, I, I think it in the middle of the record, it's if you're not in the mood, it can get a little samey, like same tempo, same formula. Um, you know, they pretty much got their thing down. You know, there's a guitar riff or a drum intro. They when the uh, the song really kicks in, they go straight to the vocal. You know, there's not any messing around. Um, the choruses almost all have um, like that piano thing, that ding 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 mm-hmm. piano part, and the uh, and a like a shaker or tambourine, so you know you start to pick up on the the formula a little bit of the record, and it um, it doesn't have as much to give as maybe like a you know I, I like a helicopter's record would in terms of like layers, but you know it's just a good blast of fun. Um, it's not really meant. This is the kind of music. It's not really meant to be overcritical about it. It's either you emotionally are up for it and it connects and you, you know, a lot of these songs, like (laughs) don't say motherfucker, motherfucker. Like I'm sitting there listening to this and I'm like wanting to sing along with it, like (laughs) out loud. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're just like, Oh, that's so I I just imagine being at a show, you know what I mean? Everybody's singing along to it. So,
Did you ever get to see them live? I've never seen them live, no. I've seen the helicopters a couple times, but I've never seen them. Yeah, I saw the helicopters uh, probably five or six times, but I did see uh, Turbo Negro once, and it was an interesting show. What were they wearing? In a good way. It was was good. What? What were they wearing? Uh, They were wearing uh, the same things that they had on in – that they have on in the photos. So if people don't know, (laughs) their gimmick is they wear sailor hats and denim and black leather, and it's just stick. I can assure you of this. The, they uh, they present themselves as being Tom of Finland esque homosexuals, which they are not, or half of them are. I don't know about the rest. Uh, in <laughs> fact, they actually the bass player goes by the name of Tom of Norway. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of their image, and uh, they have the, the Alice Cooper spider eye makeup going on. So it's 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 a look. It's an image. Uh, actually, I like to think of them as being uh, the Generation X misfits because they have that kind of uh, accessibility and sound. Um, they have that kind of a cult following and not in America necessarily, but around the world. They're huge. There are uh, Turbo Negro clubs in America where they, they definitely have a fan base. But, you know, around the world, they are definitely massively huge. And as an underground act and their stuff has been reissued and it's still in print and right they're, 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 you know, like I said, they're like the misfits in that they're collectible and they've got, you know, this cult following. And for, you know, the first time through the lyrics, I was like, Oh, okay, this is interesting. You know, there's a lot of swearing and there's a lot of, like Jay said, like not sexual innuendo, just bl- flat out, just sexual discussion or lyrics or whatever you want to talk, however you want to put it. Uh, there's like at least two songs that mention pizza for some reason. And um, <laughs> why not? Why not? Because they, they, they all used to work and hang out at a pizza place called Pomperius Pizza in the suburbs of Norway. Uh, okay. So they are actually singing about pizza. It's, now, it's not an innuendo or anything. They're singing about yeah. this, this location that, that was part of their history. And that's the kind of stuff that, like, you know, if you take it at face value, you're just reading it. You're like, okay, well, this is weird. But then I actually like did a little reading, and I was like, it, part of it said was like they are purposely being very provocative because they are they want to challenge people with their mm-hmm. lyrics and with their presentation. So it's not like they're just goofballs who are like, hey, let's just you know write you know, don't say motherfucker, motherfucker for the fun of it. Like they're actually trying to push people. Which I found to be more interesting. That I think I would have found it less interesting if they were just like goofballs and you know provoking people for the heck of it. But they're actually like trying to make a point about like the way we use language and political correctness and that kind of stuff. It's it's brutally honest too. Oh like yeah, a lot of it is like stuff that guys would probably talk about if they were on our in a van together for six months with nothing to do but sit around and talk to each other. Like it's the kind of stuff. You know what I mean? The brutal honesty, the conversations that you end up having at some point in that, and it's put to song, you know? So some of it is, yeah, is it offensive? Yeah. But you, you can kind of see where it's coming from. And, um, like you said, it, it, uh, there's a depth to it in a weird, bizarre way. (laughs) Like, I, I think if there's one thing about their records that, um, over time does reveal itself is lyrically, like, cause you do get pulled in by just the music and how, you know, in the great energy. And then you start digging the lyrics, like, 
wait, what did he just say there? <laughs> what does that mean? And like, mm-hmm. the hell are they talking about? And, you know, you start pulling back the, the layers of the onion more lyrically than, than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of them are straightforward, like rendezvous with ass. You read the lyrics to that. You listen to it. You're like, yeah, okay. I get what you're saying. It's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty straightforward. There's, there's yeah. no like, uh, you know, entendre here. It's looking good and feeling clean. Classic buttocks on the scene. I mean, <laughs> there's, that's, they're hilarious. But then you get like, um, zillion dollar status. Yeah, which I assume is a play on billion dollar babies. There's the uh, Alice Cooper reference there. Yeah. Yeah. There's some there's some interesting stuff about that, you know, a commentary on on wealth and and greed and power in in that one. So, yeah, I, some of the stuff I, I assume is meant to be just provoking, just to mess with people, and then also there's some legitimate like commentary, which I was not expecting. So I, I found that to be interesting as I listened to it more and more. I think on this record, I noticed uh, maybe one thing I, I, uh, to go back to things I didn't like is I, I heard their influences more. Um, so like track three, I could really hear their rock, the rock from the crypt influence, mm. which I know that I've heard that 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 band was just generally influential to a lot of the Scandinavian bands as were sort of the only American band in the early '90s that were doing, you know, the straight up rock, high energy kind of thing. And so I could hear them in a couple spots. Um, it definitely so, hurt the Ramones. Let me let me ask you this: Is this because I'm also hearing more of their influences when I listen to it now that mm-hmm. I did not catch when I first heard this in '98, '99, and you indicated that you had heard it back at around that time as well. Is that yep. a case of us maybe having been more exposed to more music of that era, or is that a case of oh, I just didn't catch it at the time? Um, maybe. I mean, maybe it was so different and from anything else uh, from a contemporary standpoint that I didn't pick up on it. I can hear the Bowie now in it. Mm -hmm. Like in, are you ready for some darkness? I can definitely in the chorus, it sounds like a Bowie song and and all that's fine. I I think it's just, yeah, I mean, maybe it's that maybe it was just at the time it was so different than anything else that was new and the influences weren't immediately obvious. And now with a little bit more time with it and a lot of other bands like this, that it becomes a little more obvious where they were, uh, you know, picking up influence from. I hear you saying I, at the same time, I, I think of bands like um, like the New York Dolls, who I'm a big fan of. You know, mm. definitely now they've listened to a lot of Bo Diddley. I hear their Bo Diddley influence or the uh, Dam, yeah. which is another band I'm a huge fan of. And uh, now I, I definitely hear more of their influences from the Stooges and the MC5 in their sound. So and, and I, you know, once again, knowing that all of these these Nordic rock bands 
we're we're into, especially that seventies rock and glam and classic rock and punk. That I, you know, I do hear the influences. And if you go back to their previous album, uh, Ask Cobra, they actually cover the uh, the Rude Kids, which were probably the one of the, the top five Swedish punk bands in the 70s and 80s. They had a song called Ragare is a Bunch of Motherfuckers, which is kind of their famous song that they, they covered. So once again, they're kind of exposing their listeners to, you know, this is where we're coming from. So... Is there anything that doesn't work for you, Eric, on this record? Or I know you mentioned that you thought that this was like the high point. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing then that this is pretty close. No, there's to... there's a yeah, there's a couple things. Um, I you know like Jay, I do start to hear more and more of their influences now that I've largely been exposed to more of the influences. I think it's a little bit longer than it needs to be. Uh, one of my my things with any classic punk record or punk-ish record is if you go over 40 minutes. You're kind of pushing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, at the same time, I don't think I could tell you which song I w- or two songs or whatever I would pull off of here. Um, yeah, and and you know, I have to admit, part of it's nostalgia because this was maybe the first full length album I heard from this scene. I'd heard random tracks from some other bands here and there, but I, I you know, my brother and I and our friend drove out to uh, D.C. to see our friends Adam West play. And uh, we listened to this on the way out there, and we were all just kind of blown away. So, I mean, there is there is a certain amount of nostalgia. Uh, I'm not going to say it's perfect. It's it's hard for me to say any record's perfect. But, uh, you know, it's up there. It's definitely in the context of this scene. It's, it's you know, I definitely think it's the first major record of that scene. It's maybe not the last major record, and it's probably not the best record, but it's, I think it's the first major one that uh, showed the – the world outside of their scene that, hey, this is a, an up-and-coming scene with, with bands doing interesting things. Tim, what did you think of the uh, intro song or the intro to the record? I, I was I was legitimately like confused for a bit because I was like, oh, what, what's going on here? Because it starts out like completely different than the rest of the record. Like harpsichord and acoustic guitars? Yeah, I was like, well, in, in some ways, it sounds like the beginning of like, a, a, like an 80s metal album like mm. you know what i mean and then mm-hmm. i'm like or is this going to be like uh uh a, a upper crust record like what is going on with this because i kind of i mean i i knew what scene they were from i just hadn't checked out the band so i was like this is not the first two minutes of this song are not what i was expecting to happen with this record. So I was definitely like caught off guard. I assume they did that on purpose to mess with people. Uh, I think all their records, right, Eric, all the records have yeah. like an intro song. That's kind of a, you know, epic and grand. Well, and that's, it's not unprecedented. I just mentioned the damned. They're probably what most well-known song is smash it up. That has the same kind of a slow classical music kind of intro and then bursts into the, you know, this great punk rock song. Gotcha. I mean, after hearing it in, in the context of the record, it totally makes sense. The only thing that's weird is that it makes it a six-minute-long song to start the mm-hmm. record, which is odd. Um, I almost wonder if they should have broken that off into like a separate track at the beginning. Yeah, maybe. But I do agree that I, I, you know, there's not a lot that I don't like about the record, but I do think it's a few songs too long. Like Jay, you said, in, it gets a little samey in the middle. Like I don't know where I would trim, because I, I, I like overall the record, but I do think like 
10 or 11 would be perfect because at uh, 48 minutes or so, this is a little bit, a little bit long. Do you think it would be better if, if you were listening to an LP and you listened to one side and then you took a break and listened to the second side or conversely had a cassette tape with it broken up? Definitely not a cassette, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, ju- I'm, I'm no, saying but, that as an example of a way that, yeah. that you know, to tr- traditionally we've broken up records so that, you know, uh, like what's the, the, the joke about the Ramones records where each side was 15 minutes. So it would be done before the cops showed up from the noise complaint. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. That would be an interesting test. Yeah, I'll go on Discogs and see if I can pick this up on vinyl. I don't know. I, I assume this has been pressed. Like, you can. Is it been repressed on vinyl? Oh yeah. So I it, it's. It, or, I'm sure it, you're gonna find it no problem. Okay. So maybe I'll I'll try to find. I'm actually uh, one of my goals I set, uh, which is completely ludicrous, is that I actually want to get a copy of every record we reviewed. For the entire in history of the podcast, mm. um, so I, at some point I want to pick this up. <laughs> and uh, so my my apologies for my picks. Then <laughs> this this will probably be the easiest one to find. Well, no, because we've done the Batman and Robin soundtrack, and there are like a billion of those. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are, those are, are people you talking use those picking up in general. You're talking picking up on vinyl. Oh, just in general. Okay. I mean, if I if I get them on CD, that's fine because that's the original. You know, in a lot of ways, because they're 90s, it makes sense. Um, I do. There's a couple of them that I have on on vinyl instead of CD. That's just the way that I happen to find them. Yeah, it's really the Australian stuff that's like the hardest because there's some things that are like on indie labels that, you know, the CDs are like twenty dollars to get. I'm like, "Uh, I'll have to wait. I'll I'll have to make a trip to Australia and see if I can pick it up cheaper down there after I buy plane tickets. Um, Let's talk about our overall ratings on this record i think we're gonna know where we're gonna fall but jay we're the album better ep decent single say it we're the album yeah rock and roll yeah i agree with you we're the album definitely i said maybe trim one or two songs but it's a lot of fun um eric i i already know that you think this is a worthy album but i do want to ask you what you thought of uh whitney's uh criticism of you know, it made him want to go listen to Danko Jones instead of this. Are you a fan so of Danko I, Jones? Not really. And I've actually seen them live. I believe they opened for Soundtrack of Our Lives or the Helicopters, one of the two. Um, I had already been kind of steeped in the whole Helicopters, Clucifer, um, Flaming Sideburns, Turbo Negro. You know, and there's an extended world of bands, you know, robots and just could go on and on. Like I said, there was a, there's a compilation series, the Swedish sins. There's also the, um, we might've talked about it on the compilation edition, the, uh, the ride on the rocks compilations. Yes, there was yes. all kinds of bands. So, uh, I don't, I don't really, you know, Danko Jones were great live, but I never really got into their recorded music, but I, I can definitely see that, um, there are times when you get to a band that, uh, you hadn't heard that was, an early part of a scene. And then some of the later bands that you have heard sound like them. And you're like, Oh, they're just ripping off. And here's the classic one for me is when people say, Oh, you know, Pearl jam was actually just riding Nirvana's coattails. And I'm like, (laughs) you might want to go listen to green river first, but it's, it's, there's that whichever one you encounter first and that impacts you first is going to hit you. Right. And when you hear the bands that were around at the same time, that were all playing the same sandbox, it's not necessarily going to be, 
you're not going to have that that kind of original hook, you know. And I've been hearing a lot lately about how the music we listen to in our teens and early twenties is the stuff that really sticks with us. So if you're coming to this and you know you're in your forties, that it's maybe not going to sound as um, it's not going to hook you the same way. Quick story: I, I worked with a woman who was a huge Motley Crue fan. This was back a decade ago. And she wanted stuff that was kind of like raunchy and sleazy like Motley Crue. And I'm like, oh, you should check out Turbo Negro. So I, I used the internet to send it to her. And uh, she did not like it at all. And, I, <laughs> and, and and she was very nice about it. She said, she just said, look, I, I get what you're saying. It's just that, you know, that Motley Crue is what, I'm, what I grew up with and I love. And, you know, it, 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 this just isn't working for me. And so I think that there's, there's probably uh, definitely an element of that. Yeah, Jay, what did you you like Danko Jones, right? Yeah, I like the earlier stuff. I like Born a Lion through like Sleep is the Enemy. I really don't like Never Too Loud. He starts to go in a different direction for me. So yeah, I mean I can hear it. I hear it a little bit on this record too. Um you know, Danko Jones tends to be it's a it's a little bit more um I don't I don't want to say simpler. It's like because this record has walls of the guitars. I mean, there's like Sometimes so many guitars going on, I can barely even pull them apart. Uh, Dinko Jones is more of a traditional kind of power trio. Um, gotcha. So the sound tends to be a little bit uh, sharper. You know, it's probably a little bit more accessible, I would say. And lyrically, yeah, he's he can be very forward and, you know, has a lot of songs about sex. But it's not bizarre like turbo negro can be <laughs> right you know it's pretty straight you know uh well he's canadian but uh i was gonna say red white and blue like you know rock and roll uh that, i think that's the red and the white maple stuff. leaf yeah <laughs> it's not quite as subversive as uh turbo negro's yeah i, th- so I, I think of him as being a little more acdc in that respect yeah 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 yeah, yeah. well and acdc is a major influence on this scene definitely You'll find Glucifer and the helicopters openly citing ACDC. Right. And in fact, uh, I was going to mention that the record that came out right after um, Apocalypse Dudes is a live album. Turbo Negro, Are You Ready? Or Darkness Forever. And they actually play some uh, ACDC before one of the songs on it. It's, It's a solid record for a live album. And that came out in 1999, if anybody wants to check that out. And that's the songs are mostly a mix of the Ass Cobra tracks and the Apocalypse Dudes tracks. And it was their last show because they broke up, but then they reformed. So. And that's where all the albums that Jay mentioned earlier, yeah. like Retox, come from. From the after and they the actually have a new singer, so there's there's been some lineup changes. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. They changed. Uh, I thought they had changed their singer out a couple years ago. Yeah, they definitely did. The, the original yeah. singer had some. Uh, had some issues that he needed to deal with apparently and bowed out. All right, gents. I think it's time we, uh, we wrap this one up. Eric, thank you for this very cool suggestion. I'm glad we got around to it. It definitely was a, a new record for me that uh, I'm happy I got to hear. So thank you for bringing this to the show. You are welcome. And I want to remind people you can join us at Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out to get uh, the bonus content from like our previous episode, the round table on the albums of 1998, as well as vote on our Patreon polls and get, uh, you know, access to our giveaways that happen quarterly. It's just a buck a month. So it's a pretty, 
a pretty reasonable deal for a recurring charge that uh, you'll hardly notice. It's like one or what is it, two cups of coffee a year, something like that. I don't know how much is coffee, Jay. If people go out and purchase it in a <laughs> an establishment, uh, it all depends where you're buying it. But right. uh, a couple couple bucks is reasonable. Yeah. Uh, and then also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback at iTunes. For Jay, I'm Tim, and we're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com.